everybody. My name is Drew Baker. Welcome to The Brutal Podcast. On this show, I interview progressive winemakers, chefs, farmers, artists, and scientists at my kitchen table. On today's episode, I interview Ernest Baba Beasley, geologist and founder of Hydro Geoenvironmental in Charlottesville, Virginia. To put it simply, Bubba helps people figure out what's going on under their ground. He does this by using subsurface imaging, electromagnetic mapping, test pits, and overall landform evaluation. Sounds pretty nerdy. Uh, so, all right, table set. Bubba Beasley's in the house. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, Drew. Glad to be here. How, how are you doing? Where are you tuning in from? I am doing great. I'm tuning in from my kitchen table, actually, in Charlottesville, Virginia. And uh, I'm actually batching it this week. My wife and kids are in Atlanta with my folks. So I'm having a very productive week. Nice. <laughs> Good to hear it. Well, thanks. For I work till midnight on Saturday night. I really. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for carving out some time to hop on the show. So I remember, um, so I, I think we first connected, it's probably been like it, at least four years ago, I think at this point. And uh, so I reached out to you uh, on recommendation from, I actually, I can't remember how it happened. I think you and I started actually. I remember meeting yeah. you at the MGGA, the Maryland Grape Growers Conference in like 2014, maybe it was. Okay. So it goes even further back than yeah. that. Yeah. So I remember, I remember meeting you then. Yeah, for sure. So we connected. The first time we really got working together was like seeking out like a perfect vineyard site. You're the soil guy. So I was like, I want to, I want to work with this guy, learn from him, glean some insight. Um, I have long thought you to be, um, you know, a, a, a bright, uh, bright mind, a bright spot in, in this industry. And uh, so I wanted to get you on the show to kind awesome. of like allow, um, well, first of all, just to catch up and then also to just kind of have conversation. And I think um, what you do, what you're about, your skill set is just really fascinating and provides a unique uh, perspective in this whole industry. So, um, you know, I, I, I guess we should probably like zoom back a little bit and uh, zoom out a little bit and uh, like, tell us your story. Like, who are you? Where you're from? How, how'd you get to where you are today? Yeah, so um, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, Atlanta is a very large city, and you know me, I'm at home in a soil pit, so uh, I don't know if, how much you know about Atlanta, but it's, it's, like a, it's a very large area, geographic area that's densely populated, and it's encompassed by an interstate like a perimeter, like the beltway type thing, but it, it encloses Atlanta. And that was sort of, that's sort of like a metaphor for my childhood. I just felt trapped in this city and all I wanted to do every weekend was get out. You know, I've always loved fishing, out the outdoors, the natural world. And so my time growing up was spent trying to get out of Atlanta. Um, to experience the mountains and uh, and everything, so uh, you know it was it was a great place to grow up. My family's there. I love going back to visit. It's you know it's something that I I ran from as soon as I could simply because I just didn't have access to what feeds my soul, which is the natural world. Um, there is so 
when I was a kid, I start, I sort of found my calling in geology at an early age. We went on a field trip to the William Weinman Mineral Museum when I was like seven years old. And I came back home just raving about it. And my dad tells this story kind of, you know, like within a few weeks of me going with my class, they say, oh, you, you know, we're going to have a special time this weekend. And you're going to have your buddy Alan over and you can do whatever you want. We'll take you somewhere special. And I wanted to go to the William Weinman Mineral Museum, which I, my parents thought was a little odd for a seven-year-old, but cool nonetheless. Um, so, you know, like my path to geology was sort of a, a no-brainer, you know, um, and, and uh, you know, my teenage years were spent getting out to the mountains on the weekends. As soon as we could drive, and my buddy Michael, who, whose dad had a cabin up in the mountains, we'd go up to the mountains and fish every weekend. And, um, you know, and that's sort of it. And then I majored in geology in college and the rest is history. <laughs> For sure. So yeah, you knew way before going to college that that's what you wanted to do. Um, before I knew the word geology, I knew I wanted to be a geologist. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> um, so where'd you end up going to school? I went to college at James Madison University, got a bachelor's of science in geology, ended up getting a master's in geology from the University of Georgia. And it's been great. Yeah. So Absolutely. was that, was going to school at JMU, is that what brought you to Virginia? Um, well, <laughs> I told you I knew I wanted to be a geologist before I knew what the word geology was. Um, I... I didn't know that it was an option to become a geologist when I went to college. So I knew I wanted to go somewhere in the mountains with access to the natural world that had a good music program. I ended up minoring in music, but I very quickly found a geology major at JMU and was like, this is where I belong, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah. So where, like, how did... Uh, at, at what point did you find that intersection between geology and wine? Like, how did that all come to be? Very well put. Very well stated question. I'll tell you exactly when it was. Um, after college, I, I ended up graduating a semester earlier than I had originally thought I would. So I, I, had, I did no preparation on finding a job in environmental field because I graduated you know, way earlier than I expected. And so I got a job in a tasting room in, uh, at uh, Kluge Estate Ooh. Winery, which uh, is now the golden tea. No longer Kluge Estate. But uh, Nick Doval, who is now the manager of Pollock Vineyards, hired me. We had an interview. He hired me on the spot. He's, he's, a, he's a lifelong friend now and taught me a lot about tasting wine and, um, you know, just everything about it. That's when I caught the wine bug. So it was right after college, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. I'm selling this product, talking about the soils. And I know all this stuff about the soils, you know, I mean, all right. So this is, this makes sense, you know? Um, and you're like reading through the tasting notes on their wine where they're talking about like the soil profiles that the grapes where they're lying about the soil. I know. And you're <laughs> looking at it and being like, this is so dumbed down that it's false. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, well, it's not even that it's dumbed down. It's just false. You know, 
Um, but you know, I realized that uh, lots. Of people- I, I love that. I, I can. I would have loved to been a fly on the wall when you were explaining for the first time to like the rest of the tasting room staff that like what was written on the sheet was just blatantly false. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think I didn't realize how much of what I was spouting was false too. But um, so you know, I mean, I I. Um, People in all industries, right? Not just the, the wine industry, not just grape growers, but you know, anybody working with the land has problems underground that you cannot see, right? You know, you can't you can't see underground, right? And you know, there's this anxiety and uncertainty that comes with that. Um, and so, you know, I mean, it's it's sort of like a no-brainer for me. I'm, I'm like, well, we've got this technology and this expertise. And I just saw, I just saw it. It was crystal clear for me, you know. So smart vineyard owners try to figure out what's underground before they plant a vineyard, you know. And maybe it hasn't always been that way, but, you know, it's becoming that way, especially with modern day technology that at our fingertips, you know. Yeah, for sure. So um, I, at what point did you know that you, well, tell, tell us about um, your progression from the tasting room at Kluge to um, ultimately founding Hydro Geo Environmental. Okay, so it, it, a lot of it was happening behind the scenes while I was working environmental jobs. So I had a you know, I've, I worked for three different companies, you know, for a couple of years at a time before I started my company. And I was moving closer and closer in the direction of the vineyard stuff. As it, So I did a lot of this research on my own time. It, it ultimately sort of uh, catapulted when I got involved with some Virginia Wine Board research in about 20... 12 or so, um, I, I, I saw this, you know, we use this technology in other industries, you know, this underground imaging technology, and I hadn't heard of people using it in vineyards. So I started doing a lot of research. I found out that there was, on the academic side, some people were doing it and, you know, essentially um, started doing a bunch of research. So it started with research. The question was, can we use this scanning technology to figure out where different soil types are on a, on a new plot of land that they're going to plant a vineyard on. And, and the question is, okay, does this stuff work to tell me if I can put my red grapes here and my white, my white grapes there? And it turns out it works extremely well. And it just naturally turned into my consulting business. Yeah, it makes so much sense. So like this is, you'll get a kick out of this. I remember uh, in 2010, uh, when we were getting ready to uh, plant the vineyards at uh, Old Westminster Winery, which are still there today. And um, I was completely unaware of of you, your expertise, this technology. Um, But I did know that what's underneath the soil surface matters and we need to try and do the best we can to understand it. So we got out there and dug, we rented a backhoe and dug soil pits at Old Westminster before we planted. Heck yeah. Hey, let, let, let's peek. Let's see, let's see how big this A horizon really is, you know? Awesome. And uh, so we got out there and dug, dug some holes. And I remember 
you know, in 2010, didn't know much, but the first question, we dug two different pits and we saw different things. And I remember the first question I asked was, okay, cool. But like, how much of pit A do I have? And yeah. how much of pit B do I have? Like, yeah. can so, like, I like, we can't just turn this whole place upside down. We have yeah, to you can't in. pin cushion it. Yeah. yeah. And then the first time, um, you know, I became aware of, you know, this electromagnetic mapping, scanning of the ground, um, uh, scanning the, um, uh, the, the ground using conductivity maps to determine, you know, variation, not necessarily what is it, but just variation. Yeah, and exactly. then being able to decode that through a pit, I'm like, Yep. That just makes so much more sense than what we did, which was dug two random pits and saw different <laughs> things. But what you did is so much better than what so many other people have done. You know what I mean? So many folks just have gone in with, with no preparation and end up having to rip out you know, big sections of their vineyard and, and, and whatnot, you know. Yeah, for sure. I've done a fair amount of ripping out too, so I don't want to give myself <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, I've planted some mistakes, that's for sure. And you look back yeah. about three or four years later and you're just like, gosh, that's got to come out. <laughs> and you lose 10 years. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> They're like literally just now to the point where I sort of uh, put some of those mistakes in 2010 behind me finally. So yeah, well, you guys are young. You got plenty of time, you know, that's, you know, that was part of the, uh, I think that that was an advantage in the process was, you know, three years in, you're just like, Hey, this ain't working. Like, am I just going to, you know, limp on forever or are we just going to pull this bandaid off now and start over? Yep. So it is yep. kind of, at some point it's advantageous to just you know, look yourself in the mirror and say, hey, you know, that was not the smart thing to do. But uh, and and so we need to change course now. <laughs> yep. Um, cool. So um, you, you, you worked for other companies, you were sort of doing homework in your spare time on on this uh, soil scanning technology. Um, you were getting involved with uh, the Virginia Grape Growers Association and just like all of these sort of things were converging. Um, when was it that you started HydroGeo? What was the inspiration there? How'd you know that was the thing to do? I had no other options. I was, in a, I was working for a large environmental consulting firm that had a toxic culture. I was not doing work that made me happy. I was not surrounded by a team of positive, uplifting spirits. And I mean, my wife will tell you, I was not happy. And I wanted to work in vineyards, you know? So literally the, let me think about this. I quit my job on a, I mean, I, you know, obviously gave my notice or whatever, but my last day was on a Friday. And then I started field work for my first independent vineyard client that Monday. Wow. And I had done, I had done a couple of vineyard jobs. Like I brought them in, you know, like as clients to this company and did, and did the work, you know, under that company, but it was all, it was all me doing the work. And I'm like, you know, this just isn't working out. I got to figure out how to make this happen on my own. You know, what year just, was that? That was 2013. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So uh, how's the journey been thus far? Oh man, it's great. I'm, I'm just, I'm so happy and fulfilled and would not 
would not have done anything differently, honestly. It's great. Yeah, it's grown into a team of, you know, we've got four of us now and it's just, it's just awesome. Cool. So um, I, I, I teed up the show and I had mentioned that, you know, you help people figure out what's going on under the ground. We talked about that. Can you, uh, for those who are listening to this and they really don't know what we're even talking about, um, can you like kind of like break down in, in sort of, you know, basic terminology what it is that you do to sort of like, we'll, we'll stay within the sphere of, of wine specifically, yeah. but like, what do you help a farmer figure out about their field or help a prospective client go out and find a place to plant grapes? Tell us about that process and what okay. you do. So first of all, picture a, a, a field, a grassy field that looks uniform from the ground surface. Usually, Underneath the ground, like subsoil, I'm talking, you know, a couple feet underground in the grapevine root zone, there's a lot of variability within that field. So it may look uniform from the ground surface, but you've got variability in the soil, which is which affects wine quality. So the problem up front of those variability, uh, it's, you know, clay content. You may have areas of the field that have more subsoil rock that would be better suited to certain grape varieties than others. Uh, you may have uh, variability in nutrients. There's just all sorts of soil variability that you can't see. And the problem is if you blindly plant a vineyard there, you, you, can plant across soil boundaries. There's so many problems that can happen if you if you don't tailor your vineyard to your exact soil variability. And so what we do is we use technology, technology. A lot of people have heard of ground penetrating radar or GPR. It's kind of like that. Uh, it's not the same like geophysical principle or whatever, but it's you know, if, you're, if you've heard of GPR, if you've watched the Discovery Channel, you know, it's kind of like that. We use similar technology to make maps that show different soil zones on a property. And then we dig pits in the different soil zones and help, help winemakers and grape growers figure out how to set their vineyard up for optimum wine quality. Yeah, that's super cool. So the technology, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, which is uh, completely plausible here. I have always described it as um, like a, a conductivity test or a, an, an x-ray. And to my mind, it, all, it just makes sense that different types of rocks and certainly different soil uh, 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 content, uh, um, excuse me, different um, water capacity in soil uh, affects how much conductivity the soil has. And so yep. mapping against that conductivity creates this variability. Is that true? Yeah. So the maps that we make represent the variation in electrical conductivity of the soil, literally how much electricity the soil can conduct you know, at different places across, you know, and, but the map, I mean, you know, we, we take thousands of data points when we run a scan. So the map, it basically covers the entire area of a field. And, and yeah, and so there are certain geologic factors that affect the electrical conductivity. And, uh, and so we use the electrical conductivity as sort of like a proxy map. So, you know, it's not, I call what you see in a pit is capital T truth, right? Capital T truth is 
the truth. You can't argue with backhoe pit observations, right? That's capital T truth. And we use the conductivity maps as a tool to, uh, to point us in the direction of capital T truth. So you've got to have pits. You've got to have actual observations underground in order to know how to best utilize the maps. But yeah, it's, it's, it's electrical conductivity that, that sort of, you know, shows the, ver- the soil variability. Cool. So this sounds like if, if I'm listening to this, um, I'm probably wondering, okay, you're collecting thousands, you're, you're looking at this field that from the surface looks uniform. You're telling me that underneath the ground, there's probably some variability and I'll give you that. And you're going to get out there and you're going to use technology to scan the ground in, in thousands of places uh, to create a variability map that then we will go and decode. Cool. Yeah. How do you collect those data points? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just this fancy, it's basically a fancy metal detector and we, it's, it's hooked up to a GPS. And so you can, you walk parallel transects or tow, tow the machine behind an ATV and, uh, and it's connected to a GPS. So it's, it's constantly logging soil data, which is tied to GPS points. And then we take that back to the computer and crunch it into a map. Yeah. So uh, I remember when we were at our farm doing this, like, guess three, over three years ago now. Um, and uh, it involved essentially a Kubota RTV, a long rope uh, tied yep. to a plastic kayak. <laughs> yep, that's right. Wave. <laughs> with, yeah. uh, with this like incredible computer sitting on it. And it was just like literally drug around the field for two days. (laughs) Yeah, we have a youth kayak that it's like, you know, like a children's kayak that I've removed all metal pieces from because the the instrument is sensitive to metal. And we've rigged it into, uh, you know, a sled that we tow our instrument on. And I'm on my, I think, fourth kayak now. I have to keep buying. Right, you're wearing them out. (laughs) Yeah, but they work great. It's it's great. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. Cool. Um, So, what what's something um, that you wish that you had known when you got started? So like here you are now. You're I, I think it's so cool um, that like when I asked you how it's going, the first thing you said is that like you're happy and fulfilled. That's amazing. Um, but you made the transition. You were not happy or fulfilled. Um, right. What's something that you wish you could go back to yourself at the beginning now and sort of like you know speak some advice, some life, some encouragement? Like what kind of words would you have for yourself? Well, okay. These are two different questions. <laughs> first of all, the, I, the advice I would have, um, first of all, regarding, there's two, there's two pieces. There's like the personal growth piece, and then there's the professional um, advice, you know, like applied to projects, right? So first, the, the projects we'll talk rigid before we get fluffy and flowery. So the, the, the main piece of advice that I would give my younger self and, and to other people who are, who are interested in vineyard soils, who are interested in uh, geology is that, and it's the whole, the world is this way. And the older I get, the more I realize it's not black and white. It's not, it's not good or bad. Right. Uh, everybody, we have we have a tendency as human beings to fall into this binary way of thinking, but existence is a continuum, you know. And 
And one thing, and a lot of times, you know, you'll start with a site evaluation and you'll dig a pit and people want to know, is this good or bad? Is it, is it, is it good or bad? You know? Please I mean, tell me it's the best Bubba. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not like that, you know? And, uh, and so that's one thing that I would tell my younger self is that you can, it's all about what you do with it. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not good versus bad. Now there are, there are bad vineyard sites. I mean, there are bad places to plant a vineyard, like where nobody would plant a vineyard, right? At the bottom of a bowl in a swamp, right? Uh, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying, you know, in a suitable vineyard site, oh, is the soil bad? You know, if you've got a suitable vineyard site, um, you know, you can, you can probably work with, with many different uh, soil types. You know what I mean? It's just sure. about what you do with it. Sure. There's that. Well, and then as far as, what's that now? Oh, I was just going to say, I, I kind of like that. And like, just kind of like um, extrapolating out a little bit, I can see how that is sort of a, a metaphor for life too. Um, you know, like there are, you know, there are, you know, if you have a suitable occupation, it doesn't guarantee you happiness, but it, it does put you in a position where you can make, you can be happy within it. Um, yeah. And there are also unsuitable occupations that right. like preclude you from sort of living a fulfilling life. So yeah, again, absolutely. Like, and, and in between, there's just like this big gray continuum. Yep, it is. I mean, it's the, the world is non-binary and, and we as simple minded humans so often want, want it to be. Is the light switch on or off? Well, it actually has a dimmer, you know. And that's how so many things are in the world. And geology is like the perfect example. Another thing I would tell myself, I used to really get stressed out. I mean, I guess I still do. I'm, I'm got two kids. My wife's pregnant with twins. Uh, I'm run a business, you know, uh, life is stressful, but a big piece of advice that I got from one of these podcasts I listened to, I don't even know who to give credit to. The podcast is building a story brand. It's a great podcast. Donald Miller is, you know, navigating this crazy entrepreneurial journey, passion, you know, having a life, you know, in addition to that and family and music, it's, it's all about managing tension, the stress, the tension's never going to go away. It's all about accepting that and just dancing with, dancing with the ebb and flow of it, you know? Yeah. It's going to get done by the time you go to sleep every night, but be sitting there waiting for you in the morning. <laughs> for sure. Always is. Yeah. Um, so I did, did I, uh, so, so was there a, a, a sort of a second way that you wanted to answer that question? Um, which is like, what kind of advice that you want? No, you I mean, it's the managing tension part. Yeah. yeah cool. It, that really like hit home with me when I, I, I think I learned it at a period in my life when I was just super stressed out and, it's just like, oh, it's okay for everything to be chaotic all the time because that's how it is, you know? <laughs> I like that. So, like, the two answers are I like to oversim. I, I like to make things binary, right? Like, I like, to over, <laughs> I like, to, I like to oversimplify really complex things. So, I, I really love that. Like, step one, you know, for someone looking to plant a vineyard is to find a suitable site and then make something special of it. 
And then similarly in life, it's to find, you know, find suitable purpose, suitable occupation, and then to, uh, you know, make something meaningful of it. And then otherwise to recognize that life is not binary and that we have to be comfortable living in sort of the tension of. of yeah, manage. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. always going to be there and it's kind of a beautiful thing, you know? Yeah, it is. I love that perspective. It so, propels us forward. It, it makes me, me forward. <laughs> curious. Like, so, so like that answer, I, I think that it, it, it's like really profound. I like it. Um, I, and it, and it makes me wonder like, who are people in your life that have sort of like mentored you? And I know that this is another question that you can answer both sort of like interpersonally and professionally. Yeah. Uh, but like, where, where are some places in your life, you know, that you have, um, um, that you have sought mentorship, guidance, et cetera. Yeah. So obviously, you know, I, I'm, I come from an incredible family and we're really, really tight. And I was fortunate to know all four of my grandparents extremely well on into their 90s. They all four passed away like within the past year and a half. Um, so I, I am so fortunate to have gotten, you know, just wealth of wisdom from them and my parents and I've had some great professors and, and teachers when I think professional mentors numero uno Lucy Morton hands down I love that woman and I've learned so much from her she is a legend in the American wine industry actually in the international wine industry and she is so cool and so to earth and every time I'm doing a site evaluation or soil pit evaluation. She and I don't work together as much currently as we did for a few years. We did a lot of research together and um, we've done we've done a bunch of consulting projects together. But I don't see her as much as I used to because I've I've gotten so busy. But I think back to things I learned I've learned from her every single time I'm doing a vineyard site evaluation. So two of the tidbits. Um, straight out of Lucy Morton with wisdom. Um, so when you're evaluating landforms, right? So if I'm on a farm, a big open farm with vast rolling hills, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, so where would, which word would be a good vineyard site? You know, just looking at the landscape. Lucy says, imagine that God is pouring milk down on the landscape where would the milk dam up and where would it, what, what level would it rise to? It's, it's the analogy for cold air, right? So cold air drainage is God pouring milk. <laughs> and so if you've got a, a row of trees, right? At the base of a, at the base of a hill slope, the trees are going to act as a cold air dam and they're going to dam up the milk that God is pouring down. You know, like, it's just like so Lucy. And I think about it every single time. Another one is evaluating soil pits. Think like a grapefruit. And I'm like, that's, that's pure gold right there. You know, um, if I were a grapefruit in this pit right now, like, where would I find myself? Right. Exactly. Well, where would you go? How, like the grape roots want to explore. They want to, they want to go as deep as the soil will let them. If you get to a hard pan or like a, a zone of compaction in the soil, the roots are going to have a difficult time getting through that, you know, and, and all this stuff matters for wine quality and, and setting up a vineyard. So 
yeah, I mean, hands down, Lucy Morton. Um, and then Robert White, actually, who's sort of, he's an Australian soil scientist who's kind of wrote the book on vineyard soils. Um, for those who are curious, what is that book? Um, he's got a couple. Understanding Vineyard Soils was the more recent one that I think is a little more geared to the soil scientist. The other one was Soils for Fine Wine, and that was written, you know, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago or so. Um, but he's one of the global experts, the gurus in Vineyard Soils, and I went to the Terroir Congress International Terroir Congress in Oregon in 2016, got to present some of our Virginia wine board research there, and I got to spend a whole week with him, riding around on a bus, touring vineyard sites around Oregon, and, and my team and I had come up with this list of questions that come up on every vineyard site about nerdy things like cation exchange capacity and, and stuff like that, and percentage cation base saturation and these things that we're getting all nitty gritty about. And we, and I was able to sit on a tour bus with him and just hash it out and get all the answers. So I came home from that trip. I was like, all right, you know, I mean, Robert White, you know, he, he fed me some wisdom on that trip and, and we've, we've emailed a few times since then, but um, you know, that was, that was, that week was crucial for my, um, you know, my, my knowledge and my, my skills on vineyard site evaluation. Cool. What an awesome opportunity. Yeah. It was so cool. Yeah. I yeah. love it. Um, cool. So what do you, uh, what do you do for fun? We've, we've talked well, a lot about, we've talked a lot about geology, vineyard site evaluation. Um, what do you enjoy? You may not be surprised that I'm an outdoor enthusiast. I do a lot. You did fishing last weekend. I do a lot of fishing. Yeah, I'm. I've, I've been obsessed with fishing since I was a kid, and uh, so I do a lot of fishing. Um, I I'm a musician too. I'm in a bluegrass trio. That's my side gig. We play, uh, you know, wedding music. None of that's happening this year. Everything got sure. this year. <laughs> but uh, be a blessing and, in disguise, right? Because, I, yeah, you know, winds on the way, and yeah, yeah. It's been a. It's been a different sort of year, but kind of refreshing in certain ways. Uh, and I, I spend a lot of time with my family. I've got two girls, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And, um, you know, and, you know, we, we do a lot of outdoor stuff together, Paddling, hiking, you know, at this point in their age, they're not really into the extreme hikes yet, but uh, yeah, a lot of outdoor stuff. That's cool. So you'll, I, I don't know. I mean, it may not surprise you too, that you see the way I am about geology and site mapping and I, I get geeky about stuff. I'm the same way about music. I get geeky about music and I'm the same way about fishing. So I've got, you know, like this GPS depth finder thing and I make maps of the, of the bodies of water that I fish. I mean, I do contour maps and find the fishing spots. Yeah. I'm, right. You I just nerd don't get out. out there and mindlessly throw a no. little shade. Right. Yeah. No, we find the fish. We use tech, we use modern mapping technology to find the fish. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. You'll appreciate this. Uh, so um, my wife and I, we have two little kids. We have a two and a half year old daughter and an eight, eight month old son. And so 
we are trying to do the four state challenge this summer, which is the Appalachian Trail. And it's the portion, it's basically the last stop in Northern Virginia to the first stop in Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. and, um, it's, uh, it's 42 miles or so. And uh, so the four state challenge is when you're through hiking to do that section in a 24 hour period. Oh gosh. Which is pretty insane. So we're not, our goal is to do that section this summer. Awesome, <laughs> um, that's awesome. So, yeah, and uh, it's not very easy to do with uh, two little kids. I mean, You're doing it with your kids? Yes, on our back. Oh, man. So we did seven miles on uh, Saturday actually. And uh, yeah, it's it's that, it's that a chore with, with a two and a half year old on your back. That's so, awesome, man. How, like, when did you start? Uh, we started, we started like uh, around Mother's Day weekend, and um, we so seven miles that we did this Saturday was the longest single stretch we've done so far. So we've done a couple of twos, threes, fives, and now a seven. So um, and are you on track to finish it by the end of the summer? Yeah, we've got about fifteen miles to go. So oh, nice, uh, you'll yeah, get that. We've knocked out thirty miles in a good you know, half a dozen or more, uh, trips out there. So That's like whenever cool, we man. catch an afternoon or something, it's just like a good little goal. And it's like a reason that we have to get back out there before the end of the summer, you know? So That's so cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, my, my wife is in no condition to do Appalachian trail hiking. She's pregnant with twins. Yeah. What's her due date? Due in, uh, September. I, I should know this, uh, uh September 27th. Nice. <laughs> Congratulations. That's yeah. so Hashtag girl dad. Yeah, I love it. Uh, <laughs> so I have a cousin who um, who had uh, four girls uh, and now she has two sons too. So six kids, which is crazy. Oh. But, but she, she had her fourth girl and, uh, and her husband is just, he's an awesome guy. And uh, I remember their oldest daughter, they wanted to get a dog. And she said, and like, her husband was like, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to get a dog. And she was like, come on, dad, it can be a boy dog. You, you, need, a, you need another boy in the house, <laughs> which I love. Yeah. So that's yeah. hilarious. Let's get a boy dog. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So, that's um, so, uh, we, when I decided to do this podcast, it, it admittedly was kind of like brought on by, uh, the sort of pandemic and, um, you know, this whole social distancing, we had big plans for the summer, lots of travel, um, everything got canceled. And, um, you know, after a, about a month of not seeing other humans, at least not much and having nothing on my calendar, I was like, I need to connect with people. I feed off of these kinds of conversations. And I thought it would be cool to just kind of like catch up with people who have, um, you know, uh, inspired me and who I look up to along the way. Um, so I appreciate you hopping on this with me. Um, and so when I was trying to like think about what I wanted to call the, the podcast, um, I was just kind of like thinking about, you know, relevant um, ideas or thoughts or terminology to me in the moment. And this whole idea of like brutal wine, um, it's, a, it's, it's a phrase that's catching on in Europe. And it refers to, you know, these kind of like natural or farmhouse style wines that are made from just grapes, like no additives. They're kind of rough around the edges, um, but they are, you know, but the beauty is just kind of in that rustic simplicity, you know, good or bad, take it or leave it. It is what it is. And um, so that's kind of what the word means in that context. But for me, um, I love the word because it's, 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 a, it's a word that my sisters and I always use growing up to describe a situation that was like so bad or so yeah. awkward that when you look back on it and you tell somebody how terrible that was, that like 
you can't help but laugh. Like, <laughs> you listen to yourself. You're like, that is brutal, but it's like actually pretty funny. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering, uh, you know, sort of in your, in your years now uh, in wine, in geology, um, if you have um, any tales to tell uh, that upon reflection were just like, sort of like brutal, you know, mistakes or awkward moments in the moment. And you look back and you're just like, wow, that's hilarious. Yeah, I've got a couple that come to mind. Um, you know, anybody who does earthwork or digging for their job has their fair share of stories of like hitting water lines and, you know, those black water lines that no utility locator can pick up because it's just black plastic. Yeah, and it's three feet in the ground, so you think yeah, you're clear sailing when you get We've to all it. hit those, you know. Um, there was a time when we were putting in a remediation system to clean up some groundwater on a site that was contaminated, and we had to install a power pole to bring power to the system. And there was an Ill, the, the guy had an illegal septic field in the back that he, like, didn't it was illegal. Like it was an illegal septic field and the power company put the power line in the septic line. That was brutal. Um, yeah, that was disgusting. I had to stay at work late and we had to get a plumber. It was disgusting. Um, brutal things that have happened on vineyard sites. Um, we had a site evaluation in a Southern state south of here, not not, not Virginia, not Maryland, not North Carolina. Um, and uh, there's lots of other ones, so you can just use your imagination. Sure. So we did, it was a big mapping project. At the time, I think it was the biggest site that I had mapped. And it was a, a big deal to me. And it wasn't a great site because of cold, right? It was a lower landscape site. Um, the soils were... We're bad. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the soils were very uh, binary. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the soils were fine. You know, uh, they could have done. They could have done okay with them. And you know, they had all these different fields on this huge property for us to evaluate. And one of them that they were really particularly interested in, you know, was you know over on the south side of the property. And so I ran my EM scans right, and I made a conductivity map. I went back to the hotel room that night. And a lot of times when I'm traveling for work, I go, I do my field work, and then I make my maps in the evening in the hotel room. And so I was, I was in the, uh, sorry, I'm in my hotel room making these maps, and I'm like, what is wrong with my data? It just looked, it just looked, it did not look natural. It just looked like you've seen the maps, right? So it's, it's, the maps look like color variability, like nice, even color changes, but there would be like a, a pink spot right next to a black spot, right next to a blue spot, like these geometric shapes. And it just did not look right. And I, you know, I, I'm like using my geology jargon, like anthropogenic, that's the word. This looks anthropogenic, which means, you know, in, influenced by people. <laughs> and, uh, and so we had our like debriefing meeting with the client. This, this ended up, this project ended up not ever happening for other reasons. They ended up not developing this project. Um, but we 
had our debriefing meeting and I, it was my turn to talk about my mapping and I get up there and I'm like, okay, so guys, I think there's something weird going on in this field over there. Um, here's my map. Like, I don't know what this is, but it may be like buried cars or like, I mean, I've had landfills before. It looked like a landfill. And, and I was like, do you have any idea what's going on here? And they're like, oh yeah, that's where the trailer park used to be. <laughs> There was this trailer park and we ended up finding it. We ended up going back on old aerial photography and finding a dense trailer park in about a 20 acre field, maybe 15 acre field. And for some reason it didn't occur to these people that that might not be a good place to put a vineyard, you know? Right. So they basically got in there with like excavation equipment and like just pushed all this stuff into a dumpsters. And it was underground. And, uh, and I guess there were probably septic tanks. There were probably underground oil tanks. There was probably all sorts of nasty stuff. And, and they were going to put a vineyard there. And the first thing we said was don't plant there. Um, but yeah, that was, that was very strange. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was really strange. Um, That's awesome. And I love, you know, I know. Yeah. Soils have memory. You know, if, if, if you, they don't forget. You know, if you, if you compact, you know, if you build a tennis court on a, in a spot and then you rip up the concrete and, and walk grass, across it, then like yeah, it's like there. the subsoil underneath that tennis court is going to be as hard as concrete, you know, and that, that was kind of what they were looking at there. But um, yeah, that was really strange. Yeah. The old trailer park vineyard. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love. And then it. you, I mean, you can go back and look on old air photos. That was another one about that same project. The day that we were digging pits, the day that we were out digging test pits, and we had like twenty test pits, was the day that the Google Earth satellite flew over and took the image. And so I went back to my computer like three weeks later, and I throw my GPS points up on Google Earth. And there you are. Whoa! <laughs> There's me. <laughs> That's pretty like eerie, actually. Yeah, it was, and it, and then it 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 happens more. I mean, it's happened more more time. You know, not the same day, but while the while the scars are still on the you know, on the ground surface, the satellites flown over. Right. And that's why, I mean, because I'm thinking about like our particular farm when I hop on Google Earth and maybe, maybe my version of Google just, or Google Earth isn't updating as frequently for some reason, but like, it's still old. Like, I mean, there's still like old hedgerows, you know? Yeah, it yeah, yeah. It doesn't update that frequently for me. So that's, yeah, that's pretty eerie that it hits you on that one day. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. It was eerie. Cool. So, um, how can uh, how, how can people connect with you? Um, let's just say somebody's listening to this podcast and they're interested in learning more about that intersection between uh, you know vineyard site selection and geology. Um, you know how does yeah. Um, well, you can go to our website hydrogeoenvironmental.com, and uh, you can find me on Facebook, Bubba Beasley. Not too many Bubba Beasleys out there. <laughs> uh, and then I'm on Instagram too. I'm not as active. What's that now? You're definitely the smartest one. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Um, <laughs> probably not. But uh, yeah, and then I'm I'm on Instagram too. I'm not as active on Instagram, but I'm Beasley Bubba on Instagram. So I'm pretty easy to find. 
I'm around. I'm not going anywhere. Right on. Well, I appreciate your time, Bubba. It's always a pleasure. And uh, thanks for thanks for hopping on the show tonight. Um, really, really appreciate it. Um, for uh, those of you who uh, listened, if you enjoyed the episode, um, please feel free to leave a review and uh, subscribe via iTunes or Spotify or however you listen to podcasts. And uh, I'm going to release uh, conversations like these once a week. Um, so yeah, thanks a lot, Bubba. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Drew. Evening. Yeah, in, in, enjoy your uh, enjoy yourself. Catch up on some work while the fans out of town. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, to seeing you again sometime soon. Thanks, man.